did, would you make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? If you didn't bring a Bible, we provided them. They're in the chairs right in front of you. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. You can use an electronic device. Uh, you can follow along in a Bible app. But one way or another, we're inviting you to be in the Word of God with us. If you're in the overflow or online, just hear the same invitation. This is a, a Bible study, and we're longing for God to speak to us through His Word. We believe there's power in you seeing it and following along, so we invite you to do that as we continue. This morning, our study in 2 Corinthians, verse by verse, beginning here in chapter 6. Well, let's ask God for help. Let's ask Him again right now that He would take His Word and make it connect into your life in a way that's just genuine and real. He's the only one that can do that, but I, I know He can. So let's ask Him right now for that. Father, we come before You as Your people that You know. You know everything about us. You know where we are. You know what we need. You see just our souls and the state that's there. And Lord, I believe in your good faithfulness, you would meet us today. If we would but have ears to hear from you. We think about your word, its power and ability to both open up truth, but then in your, the work of your spirit to, to weave it into our heart today so that we'll know. Uh, we will know that you have spoken to us. God, I can't do that. And I know that. Humble myself before you say, Lord, you can and only you. But I long that you would. I believe you will if we would but hear you. So give us ears, hearts to receive, that which you would have for us in work today, right now. Your goodwill in us. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For a Christian who is doing life right, we have the best job in the universe. Yeah, listen to me again. For a Christian who's doing it right, we have the best job in the universe. What's that? We get to go to work with our dad. Uh, we get to go to work with our heavenly father, that he is inviting us to join him in that which he is doing. That's exactly how it begins with us this morning. Why don't you notice it there, just the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. Where, where he just lays it out to us and gives it to us, you know, this way, where he simply says, we then, as workers together with him. Wow. Hey, pause there. Workers together with him. What an incredible thought. It's one that I want to invite you towards this morning and to see it and know it and feel it. Well, before we go into this, these verses and try to unpack them for us, we want to just remind ourselves that this is situated in a context, that what he just said has great weight uh, that would roll into this. So let me quickly remind you uh, what we saw last week. If you were with us, you can just scan back there uh, in chapter 5 and just follow along where he says it to us this way in verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Last week, we tried to unpack those realities and those two key thoughts in the midst of it, that our God is a God who has reconciled us, that he has done a work to bring us into relationship with him, to connect, to remove sin and sorrow and brokenness that would keep us from him. And he has, in Christ, reconciled us to relationship, which is gloriously amazing. But then on top of that, 
He's invited us who are now reconciled to him to join him. And he has given us that ministry of reconciliation, that we get to be a part of God doing that in our world. In fact, just keep reading as he tells us there in chapter 5, picking up in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jesus did all the work, we just get to tell people. Now, then, verse 20, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, implore, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hey, incredibly profound, just material, just things that would help us understand what God has done, that He is a God that in Christ has reconciled us, that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that those of us who believe upon Him, we are brought into relationship with Him. Glorious, absolutely glorious. And then again, He draws us to say, on top of that, He now invites us to be a part of it. I don't know where that lands for you. I don't even know if that speaks to you like it does to me, but it does to me. Think about it this way. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't know if you feel that. I don't know if you look at it and think that I get to be saved. That's crazy grace. That is amazing, glorious grace that God would take me and, and by the grace he's given in Christ, by the wonder of that draw me out of my sin and out of those things and bring me into a relationship, hands down. That is one of the most amazing things I could ever comprehend. Amazing grace, sweet the sound, saved one like me. And then if that wasn't enough, he invites us now that we know him to have purpose, that our life could be about things that would actually matter, about things that would last for eternity that he invites us to serve him. I don't know about you, that, that sometimes it just boggles my imagination. Like, wow, that's, you, that you would want us to be a part of what you're doing shocks me at times. But it gets better because he doesn't just want us to serve him. He wants us to do it with him so that he invites us to be workers together with him, that our life in Christ is meant to be in an abiding relationship with him, so that actually what we do, we do with him in the very moment we do it. That's amazing. I mean, that is glorious. I mean, that is shocking in so many ways, but it's the best thing in the world, that, that we get to have a life that would say, God, well, I'd like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to go to work with my dad. I'd like to be at work with my father in the work that he is doing in our world, that we get to be that. If it didn't tell us that in the scripture, I don't know about anybody else, I would be like, okay, that's a little bit too much. That's a little bit like over the top. You know, you couldn't actually say that, but he does. We are workers together with him. Well, that's exactly where he wants us to begin and feel that. So he tells it to us again in verse 1. We then as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So there is this passion that Paul is bringing into this moment that he's kind of saying, hey, we get to do this. And as Paul gets a hold of it and he's inviting us to be a hold of it, he's saying, we're pleading with you. 
We are begging you. In fact, I like the way it said it in the verses before that, where it told us that, you know, as God is doing that in verse 20 of chapter 5, it says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. That's a pretty amazing thought. And if this could grab hold of you the way it ought, it would, it would be almost like, yes, God's inviting me to work together with him, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to. Like, I'm all in. Like, I, I, I want to be passionately and, and excitedly and, and full just saying, hey, I'm wanting to be a part of what God is doing, which is a ministry of reconciliation. Drawing people to him, drawing his people into that full connection with him is what our life is meant to be about, and there is passion here. I mean, I just want you to feel it. I wish I could say it better. I mean, honestly, I just wish I could, could, could somehow make this explode across your heart and mind in a way that it ought to. Because if you hear this and it's kind of the doldrums, kind of like, well, you know, yeah, we could serve Jesus. I guess that's cool. You know, I guess that's fine. You know, I mean, I guess we could work together with God. It's like, okay, you don't get it. I mean, we get, and, and I get to, I mean, I wish I could say it better. I wish I could pour out just, you know, immensity of, of, of just tears and voice and heart and just cry out to you right now and say, this is what we get to do today and it's what I'm getting to do right now. It's what I'm trying to do right now, as if, as if though I'm pleading with you and though I'm speaking up here today, it would be as if God himself were speaking through me, as if God himself were pleading with us and saying, hey, I, I, I'm inviting you, I'm drawing you to what I have for you, and I want you to be a part of that. I, I, I long for that, and there's something there that's so attractive, that is so right that it would be so that it would be something that would stir us up towards that. It would be something that would cause us to want this and long to be in that space. I am wanting that, and I'm wanting that for you right now. So with God, we're working, pleading passionately, just desiring these things. What? Well, I like the way he says it, so notice it with me again. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. See, here's what we're longing for. We're doing this in a way that we get to come and say, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Let's just unpack this in a couple quick ways. I mean, it probably makes sense. Don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but when we say the grace the grace that he's talking about here, pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. When we think about grace, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about everything that we just talked about, that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, that God took him, as it says at the end of it there in chapter 5, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That is God's incredible grace. Ephesians would give it to us this way, where it simply says, but for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In a sentence, he just unpacks it so well there, and I want to just highlight it again. It's grace. It is God's grace. It's not us. It's not our works. 
We didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. We can't add to it. It's not us doing it. It's a gift. It's a gift that if we could get it, there's no boasting. There's no, hey, look at me. Look at what I am. It's, it's all Him. It's all God's grace. It's all His grace that pours out. And so that if we know Him, it is grace. It is amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that, that rescues people just like us. So it's grace that we're talking about. It's grace that, that we get to be both partnering in, walking in, speaking. And it's grace that he's saying, hey, don't receive this in vain, without purpose, without impact, without accomplishing what it's meant to accomplish. So that raises the question, how would you or would people receive God's grace in vain. What would it mean to receive God's grace in vain? Well, probably at least two things, two things that surely lock into this context that will help us understand it. And the first of them simply is that, to to hear God's grace and not be reconciled. To hear the gospel, to hear that God sent His Son to do that, and then to be one that doesn't respond to that. You know, that in one sense, having heard that it would be like, well, that's, you know, you, you heard, but you didn't respond. You didn't find yourself being brought into a relationship with him. Jesus pictured it, and to me, one of the most profound and yet quite scary ways when in the Gospel of Luke, he gives it to us this way. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. I don't know where you're from. He says, there's going to be a time when God, the, the door of salvation closes, where time is, is under. And then people can be like, Lord, hey, let us in. You know, like we, we Lord, Lord, you know, we're, we're ready to come into heaven. We're wanting all those things. And he's going to say, I don't, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship you and I. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. And, and they're going to say, uh, but Lord, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. This passage in Luke and its corollary at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about this are for me some of the most terrifying of realities. That, you know, there are going to be people who are expecting, in a way, to go to heaven, you know, because they came to church. Well, Lord, we, we were there. I, I mean, I sat on Sunday morning when Pastor Jim taught the word. I was there. You know, I, I, I heard about you. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it never really became mine. I never personally have a relationship with you, but I was there. Isn't that, isn't that enough? You know, isn't, isn't that enough? He's like, no, it's not enough. Like, I don't, you, you were supposed to be reconciled. You were supposed to be reconciled to me. And, and, and if you're not reconciled to me, you don't have a relationship with me, then there, there's no hope in that. The, the only way of salvation is a relationship with Christ. Only related to be there. And the scariest place is that there are people who sit in church Sunday after Sunday, all around our world, all across our nation, probably even here. Oh, I hope not. I mean, I'm going to be just quite honest with you. I mean, I have a simple prayer request that I've shared with you guys every now and then. It's like, Lord, please no. Like, you know, I hope I offend people, and if they don't know you, they leave. 
You know, I don't want anybody sitting in, 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 under my watch thinking they're going to heaven when they're not. Uh, I, I know that it's going to happen. I know people are going to be there. I just don't want it to be you. So with everything inside me, I'm just telling you, that's a scary thing. And it's scary because it happens. There are people who receive the grace of God, but it doesn't do them any good. They hear the gospel. They hear that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that Jesus took on sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And then they sit there and don't actually go, God, I want that. I want to know you. I want to have, I mean, if, 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 if this is possible that I could be reconciled to God, that I could ha- then, then Lord, that's where I want, I, I want to move into that. And, and so that reality lays just scary upon this moment and simply saying, hey, if that's you, I'm doing everything I can right now to plead with you to say, don't do that. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Hey, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but it's enough to say that's a scary part of it, and it's certainly part of this. That when he says, hey, I'm pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, it's certainly talking about those who are not actually reconciled to God. But again, if you're tracking with us in chapter 5, there were two things. One, we are reconciled, but secondly, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. So to receive the grace of God in vain would also include that. It would include being reconciled to him, but not actually joining him, not actually going to work with him, not actually being one that would say, God, I've been reconciled and you've now invited me to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that reality. And it's possible to hear that and not let it move you where you're finding that impact your life in the way that it ought to. That we don't find ourselves drawn into that space of saying, God, here I am. I'd like to, you know, you've rescued me and you've invited me. I don't, I don't want to just be, you know, a pew potato sitting in the chair, saved and now going to heaven and yet not do anything with that, not be a part of that, not be a part of what you're doing. Hey, we could spend more time on it, but that's going to happen for some. Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians that when their whole life is tested, they, they're saved, they just didn't do anything with it. And, and you know, they're still saved, but their life was a waste. And it's just inviting us, hey, don't do that. Don't be one who would receive God's grace in vain. Don't be one who would walk in that. And so he's inviting us away from that. Now, to get there, or even to maybe touch it, he, he then takes us into a thought that would press into one of the key things that we need in that reality. So let's go back and see it, but we'll start again from the beginning, there in verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of visitation. So he invites us to see this. In fact, he says it in a kind of a, just a double way. He says, behold, like you should see this. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Like he's inviting you and I to see this in a way that would somehow arrest us and draw us into that. So what is it we're seeing? Now, 
honestly, it's actually quite a profound thing. And there's at least, again, three things that you should quickly note about this. For starters, just coming back to it and saying maybe the most simple thing, but the most important thing in it, it is Jesus. When he's telling us, hey, that, that now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation, he's highlighting the incredible wonder that Christ is to us and that he's done. Now, we know this for a few reasons. For, for a couple, we know he quotes two passages out of Isaiah here two passages, and both of them are messianic passages, passages that would look before Jesus came and said, and God would say, I'm going to send hope into this world. There's brokenness, and I'm going to do something that's going to be the solution to the problem that people have. So he gives us one that's out of Isaiah 49, when it gives it to us this way. He says, thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and keep you as a covenant to the people and restore to the earth and to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Without unpacking the whole chapter or all of this, but I wanted you just to understand, hey, the promise here is of Christ. In fact, I like the way the New King James renders it because if you didn't already notice it, notice the use are capitalized, which is one of the places that lets you know, hey, we're talking about God. We're talking about Jesus. And he's saying, hey, I've heard you in the day of salvation. I have helped you. I will preserve you, and I am going to give you. You're going to be that, that thing that's going to be a covenant to the nations. You're going to be the thing that can restore the earth. That he looks and says, in the midst of the brokenness of Israel, in the midst of all of their struggle, he says, I have a fix. I have the solution. It's going to be me sending my son. I'm going to send my son. And, and he's going to be the one that where my grace is going to pour out upon. I'm going to hear him. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull into his life. I'm going to preserve him. I'm going to give him as a covenant to all people. It's, it's Christ. So it certainly is him. Well, the second passage that he highlights is out of Isaiah 61, which I'm not going to turn to Isaiah 61. Instead, I'm going to turn to Luke, because in Luke, Jesus quotes the passage, and it's fun to, he quotes it as we think about the things that are there. So it tells us in the book of Luke that he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So a lot of fun little things there. So he grew up in Nazareth. That's where he was raised. And so he goes to the synagogue which he does all the time. I mean, it's just good, you know, even just noting that, like he's in that space of, of being in that in his life, and he goes in there, and, and, and as he's there, he just stands up to read. At a moment where they're, where they're reading the scripture, he stands up, he's handed uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, which is in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. So can we just to kind of imagine it as best you can, like he's there, and they're like, they give him a space to share, and they hand him the book of Isaiah, and he kind of begins scrolling through it or rolling it if it's a scroll to get to Isaiah 61, and then he reads it. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus pauses there, and it says he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Now I'm it. He says, you know, that this promise that was given in Isaiah, I'm the fulfillment of it. You know, this promise that they've been looking for and waiting for, it's me. Here I am. I've come to fulfill this very thing, that he has anointed me, that he has given that gospel to reach out to the poor, the poor in spirit, to be the one that would bring about healing and help. And he says, it's the acceptable year of the Lord. It's that space where God would bring us to himself and bring us to a place of being accepted, which is exactly what he quotes here. So you might just notice it again in our text there in verse 2, in an acceptable time. I have heard you in the day of salvation. I have helped you. So weaving that all together, it's telling us again this, like don't miss this. I mean, Christ, he is the hope of the whole world, that which for thousands of years people looked for and longed for. He's the one that is this. And so when we say, hey, behold, this is God's work. This is the work of salvation. This is Christ. This is him. This is what we get to tell you about is, is the glory of Jesus and him being everything, the, the only hope of mankind. Behold, I, you should see this. I, you should absolutely just see that this is God's salvation. This is the place where people can be accepted and recognized and brought to Christ and brought out of their sins. So when he says it that way, well, again, maybe the most significant thing is, again, understanding we're just highlighting what we've already said. Hey, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the work that he's done. So we think about what that looks like and where that lands into our life, though. There's also a little bit of a sense that you understand that it's limited, that there is a sense by saying, hey, this is the day, this is the time of salvation. It's a limited space. It's a limited space. There's limited opportunity in that regard. Think about how it would give it to us there in Isaiah where it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. I mean, you know, there's, there's a space that that's available that's not always going to be there. There's a space where people can get saved that is a limited time uh, in history that's not going to be repeated. Hey, when, when, when Jesus comes back and we're into eternity, the gospel will not be bringing anybody else to salvation anymore. This is a limited space. It's also a limited space for us to serve. Jesus, when he talked about it in his own life, said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Hey, the night is coming. No one can work. There, there's an end to this moment. There's an end to this space that Jesus would feel and he invites us to feel. So when we say it that way, there's just this reminder like, hey, this is our opportunity. We, we might not have opportunity in the future. We have opportunity now, both to know him and serve him like he's inviting us to feel just the, 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 the weight of that and drawing into that. As we hear that, maybe, maybe one of the things that most needs to be heard or maybe just largest on my heart right now as, as we're thinking this through is that part of the idea of saying now is the day of salvation, I believe does a, a very quick attack and, and right attack against procrastination. Oh, you guys know what procrastination is, right? I mean, it's that idea of putting things off. Hey, there was a group of a crowd that was actually polled on this in a recent day and tried to find out and said, you know, 90% of those who responded admitted that they struggled with procrastination. Uh, the other 10% said they were, hadn't had time to think about it yet. Um, 
So just get, just get track with my goofy sense of humor. Hey, it's all of us. I mean, there's not anybody here right now that would be going like, I don't even know what that's like. I don't, I don't ever procrastinate. I've never done that. No, we have. And the sad reality is if we could talk about procrastination for a moment, we'd understand that most of us have lost things because of procrastination. Relationships have been lost. Opportunities have been lost. Jobs that could have been there that weren't seized, things that could have happened, but at that moment you failed to step into it, and probably all of our life are littered with things where we'd say, could have, <laughs> could have, should have, would have, you know? I mean, I, I, and, and procrastination is one of those things that from any metric, in business or in our world, it's a serious thing. So, hey, there's tons of stuff out there. there there's videos and books, because even those outside of Christ recognize the, the incredible danger of procrastination, that those who can overcome this often become those who step towards things in life that it really has. And, and if that's true in every other area, it is most true in the areas of our soul. So let's plug that back into our warning. See, here's the thing. It is true in salvation. It is true in salvation in this idea of being reconciled. The scary thing is that there's probably a large number of people who are going to go to hell, who are going to enter into eternal destruction, not because they intentionally rejected Jesus, they just procrastinated. They just procrastinated. They, they heard and yet, thought, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to do that. Like, one of these days I'm going to, I'm, you know, I hear, I know that's true. Um, it's just not a good moment today. I find myself thinking about Paul when he's sharing with Felix. Some of you know the story there in the book of Acts. And it says, after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, he's kind of a Roman governor at this point, kind of having Paul in his custody. Um, his wife is Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. I mean, this is incredible. He's like, breaks Paul in. Hey, Paul, tell me, tell me about your faith. Help me understand what is this thing, Christianity? Help me uh, understand uh, about faith in Christ. And so Paul does. I mean, Paul just launches in and he reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid. And he answered, go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Paul does well. I mean, he says, man, there's, there's, there's judgment to come. There's a righteousness. There's a way here. And when Felix hears it, he doesn't disagree. In fact, it, it creates fear. Like, he's like, wow, <laughs> like, that's scary. But then he does this thing. Hey, it's just, it's not a good time. Not a good time. Not a good time right now. It's not convenient for me right now to process this. Hey, go away, and we'll talk about this another time. But he never has another time. He's there for two more years. Paul's there. We never find a, another space he has. As far as we know in history, he never did. And the scary thing is what that does. See, it's one thing to reject Jesus. I mean, to hear the gospel and say, hmm, not interested. Don't believe. Don't let anything is true. Hey, that happens. That does happen. But it's far more scary for someone to say, you know, I think there's something there. I think there's something there. I, th I think that might, you know, I probably should uh, give my life to Jesus. It's just not really a good time right now. You know, I mean, maybe later, maybe after I've kind of, you know, sowed my wild oats, whatever that would mean. Or maybe after I get married, or after I have kids, or after the kids grow up. I mean, maybe after I retire. I mean, one of these days I'm going to get around to giving my life to Jesus. 
And the scary thing is it just robs so many. Martin Luther said it this way, how soon, not now, becomes never. How soon? When, when someone says, I'm just not, it, that, that just putting it off and saying, no, not right now. How soon that becomes never. J.C. Ryle said it this way, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. Satan does not care how spiritual intentions are or how holy your resolutions, if only they can be determined to be done tomorrow. Like, Satan doesn't care. Like, hey, if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to give my life to Jesus eventually, he's like, oh, that's good. Because he knows. I mean, this, this putting it off is so often the place that robs our souls. Think about it this way. Edward Irvin said, procrastination is the kidnapper of souls, and it's the recruiting officer of hell. This is the scary thing where someone says, you know, I'm going to do that one of these days. He says, this is that which is drawing people to hell. This is ones that are absolutely doing that. Uh, think about it this way. Oswald Sanders said, procrastination is the thief of time. The, is the one of the devil's most potent weapons for defrauding us of eternal heritage. Hey, I just want you to think about that with me for a moment and just recognize how true this is. How, how true it is right now that there are those who never actually reject Jesus. They don't disagree. They don't say no. They just say, not now. And how many? How many? Will, will fall into that category? How many will be there? That's a terrifying thing. And, and so it's to that space right now. I just get to speak it right here because it's entirely possible in this room. It's entirely possible right now here in, or online or in our overflow. You're there and you're like, you know, Jim, I, I'm going to do that one of these days. Like I'm, you know, one of these days, I'm, I'm, really, I'm going to get serious. Like I'm really, you know, it's just not a good time. It's not a good time, but there will be a better time. Will there? Is there ever? Now. Right now. Like, right now is the accepted time. Like, right now is, is the day of salvation. That he would say, hey, don't do that. Don't be that person who procrastinates this, who puts it off, who, who says, hey, I, I, I'm not going to walk into that. I don't, I, you know, I don't want that to be where that is. I'm just telling you it's a scary thing because, Somehow that person who's there, maybe it's you, comforts their own heart just saying, you know, it's, it's not that I disagree. I don't. I don't disagree with, 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 with hope. I don't disagree with heaven. I don't disagree with, with Jesus. Um, I'm not, I'm, boy, I'm not against it. I just, just haven't really done it yet. And, you know, there's going to be a better time. It's just not, not a good space for me. There is never a better time than today. There's never a better time. Like, if, if, if the gospel's pressing into your heart right now, if today God is drawing you and, and you think that there's ever going to be a better time than now, you are wrong. Every day we wait, it gets harder. That's one of the things with procrastination in anything. Procrastinate anything, it never makes it easier. It always makes it harder. Always. And he invites us into that space of just saying, okay, yeah, now. <laughs> like, like, now that's where I should come. Like, now that's where I should be. And with everything inside of me, again, if I could waken even one soul to say, hey, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't, don't, don't wait another day. We have a limited moment. We have a limited space. You have a limited space. Today's the day. Like, today's the day. And you could do it right now. I mean, the, the wonderful part of, of what God can do, maybe God's word is pressing into your heart right now, and you, you don't have to wait for me. You don't have to wait to the end of the service. Like right now, you could be talking like, God, okay, let's do that right now. 
God's word could work into your heart at this moment that you would believe and be saved. In this moment, you would say, okay, enough of this. Let's, let's move. Let's, let's, God, I want to I step into this life that you have done, that you would reconcile me to yourself. And I just plead with you, as Paul said it in the previous chapter, be reconciled. Like, be, like, be that person that is drawn into a relationship with God. Don't wait another day for that. Don't wait another day. The weight of that's important, and, and I just don't want anything I say now to kind of take that away, but I also want to continue and say, hey, it doesn't just end the moment you get saved. No, we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and this idea of being now is the day of salvation, and the warning of procrastination also robs so many of actually serving, of actually being a part of what God has how many Christians fall into this category where they, they're not opposed to doing something for God. It's just not a good time right now. It's just not a good time right now. You know, later, you know, later I'm going to get serious about serving Jesus. You know, later I'm going to start doing that again. Maybe, you know, young, kind of in that place. I'm going to wait till after I'm married, and when we get married, we're going to do that. Or maybe you get married, and then you're like, hey, when we, you know, once we have kids, we're going to get serious. And then you get kids, and you don't have any time. You're like, okay, when the kids are grown, uh, you know, then we'll start serving Jesus. And then the kids are grown, and that gets busy. And you're like, hey, when I retire, I'll start serving Jesus. And it still doesn't have, I mean, it just always becomes procrastinated. And it so easy becomes that which robs us. Jesus was speaking uh, to those who were around him, and he just spoke and said to one, hey, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So he's inviting him to be involved in what he's doing now, and, and this guy says, hey, let me go bury my father. Now, don't misunderstand the context, nor understand, misunderstand the culture. He's not saying, hey, I got a funeral to go to. My dad died, and we, you know, once the funeral's over this week, then I'm in. Uh, you know, that would be, you know, a whole different thing. God is a God of compassion. He's a God of comfort. He would walk with us through that. That's not this. Culturally, what this man is saying is like, hey, you know, I'm going to work for my dad, work for him, and when he dies and I get the inheritance, then, then I'll serve you. Like, you know, but if I, if I like follow you now, I might lose, you know, what's coming to me. And, and so, hey, after, you know, after I do all these things, after I get, you know, what's coming to me in this world, uh, after I go and, and gain, uh, you know, the inheritance from my dad, then I'll follow you. He's, you know, then let me first go and do this. And, and after that, I'll do that. And Jesus just says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Like, hey, that's what the world is living for. The dead are involved in those things. That is not us. We are meant to be a part of what God is doing in this space now. That he's inviting us to be able to step towards that and say, hey, this is what we're longing for. Hey, this is what we want to be a part of. And I'm inviting you to that. Maybe, again, you're already doing that. Maybe you're already a part of this, but maybe you're not. And I want to just say it again. For the Christian who's doing life well, we have the best job in the universe. We get to go to work with our dad. We get to say, God, I'm in. Like, what do you want to do? <laughs> uh, I'm not, not trying to pressure you into anything that he's not inviting you to. I'm just telling you, what is he inviting you to? Because that's what he does. Like, hey, let's do this. Hey, step with me towards this. Maybe you know, whatever that would be, it's this place of saying, God, I want to I I be a part of what you're doing in this world. And, and just being willing to say yes to that would be the place where he would open up what he has for you 
the scary place is that for some, I know, I know for some right now, you're just like, well, it's just not a good time. Catch me at a better time. <laughs> you know, later, when later I'll get around to serving Jesus, and later becomes never, later becomes not. And so he's inviting us now to say today is the day of salvation, that he's telling with us this idea that, that God is working with us, and we are, he's pleading with us not to receive that in vain. He says, okay, this is the time, like right I was thinking about this, and as we were uh, reading this morning, I don't know how many of uh, you guys were reading through the Bible with us, and uh, we're in the book of Joel. And just interesting, it just felt like it's just somebody was saying so many of the same things. I thought I would just highlight a couple of the verses to you right now that says the same thing. Think about it in Joel chapter 2, as God was speaking there. He says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. He says, Now. In fact, I, I like it that the emphasis is in the Hebrew. I think one translation says, now while there's still time, like now, like right now, turn. Turn to me, God says. Don't, don't, you know, just don't go, should go through the motions. Don't just, you know, just, I'm inviting you to actually have a relationship with me, with, with everything in your heart. He goes on to simply say, so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. I mean, our God is an amazing God. He's like, come back. Like, be reconciled to me. Be reconciled to me. Be Be in that relationship now while there's still time. Who knows, he goes on to say, if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him. Hey, in the midst of Joel, it's in the midst of a trial and a trouble where, you know, just judgment has come on the land and they're responding to the whole thing. He says, but he says, I don't know what God would do in this moment, that, that he might turn and restore to us and, and bless even in those spaces. In fact, it goes on later in the chapter to say, you know, I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten. So the judgment that had fallen on Israel was a locust plague that had devoured the land. And, and he says, hey, if you just come back to me, if you, if you come back to me, I, I can restore. I can restore things that are there. And I found myself just thinking about that, and I ran across a, a quote this morning from Charles Spurgeon that just simply said it this way. He said, lost years can never be restored, literally. Time, once passed, it's gone forever. <laughs> I mean, you, you miss opportunities. They are gone. You cannot have back your time. But there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned, the fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. Hey, he's just inviting us to that. And he's saying, you know, so, so maybe you have procrastinated. Maybe you have wasted time. Maybe you have lost opportunities, but God could pull it back. I mean, there's still time. There's still time for him to work in your life. There's still time. Then he says, hey, give me that. Come back to me. Let let it be this and and see what I could do in the midst of this. Today's the day. Like, now's the time. He's saying, hey, turn to me. Let it be that that's where you're coming. And he even invites it. He says, you know, that in the midst of, you know, I'll I'll restore to you those years. I'll, I'll be that one that does that. He goes on in that chapter and says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Some of you know that this passage is quoted in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit begins to pour out 
And it's this picture of what he's doing in this age, that he's inviting every one of us to be a part of what he's doing. That the Spirit of God is working upon not a select number of people, but every Christian gets to be a part of what God's doing. So he says, hey, your sons and your daughters will do it. Hey, are you old? I can still work in your life. Are you young? I can still work in that. Like, you're not too old. You're not too young. You're not either of those places. He says, on my men's servants, on my maid servants, I'm going to pour out my spirit. What an incredible hope that that is. And again, it kind of speaks to us right where we are, where I'm telling you, hey, the Christian who's doing life well has the best job in the universe. We get to do this. We get to be those who say, God, I I get to do something with you. I get to live a life that says, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to pray. I want to serve. I want to be a part of whatever that would be. I want to share the gospel. I want to share the gospel with people. And I want to be one who's about that very thing because that's what he's saying. In fact, he goes on to say, you know, come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. They'll be saved. He says, hey, here's what's going to happen in that. I mean, the gospel's going to go forward. The work is going to happen. And, and that's going to resound. And so he's telling us, as quoted again in, in the book of Romans in chapter 10, saying, hey, this is what he's doing. Hey, this is what he's doing. I mean, he's doing this place where he's drawing. And so I get to come and say it again. Hey, that's the day and the age in which we live. That's the age and, and day in which we live. And he's inviting you and I to say, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's be a part of that. So I don't know where this is landing for you, but I, I, I wanted to circle around you know, the two thoughts, again, that kind of speaks into it, and then we'll close there. God loves the world, and He loves you. And if you're here this morning, and you have not been reconciled to God, like you don't have a relationship with Him, maybe you do church, you're, you're here, and, you, and you're in, in this space, but you, have, you don't have a personal relationship with Him. I'm telling you, that is, He is longing for a relationship with you that Jesus came to die to bring you into life, and and he did. God laid our sin on him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And if that's where you are today, why wait another day? Why why, why put it off thinking, hey, there's there's never a better space than this. Never a better space than to say, okay, God, I'm in. I want to know you. I want to have that. And and today we're just inviting you, please don't waste another moment. Don't don't put it off because it could rob you that you might never intend to reject Jesus, but just by waiting, you are rejecting him. Leaving you in God's care. I come back and just say, I know I'm talking to Christians. And some of you are doing this uh, in in ways and in parts, and you're like, Jim, it's so true. You know, one of the great joys is to recognize that I get to be a part of things that are lasting forever. That he invites me to pray, he invites me to serve, he invites me to share the gospel. And those are the things that when time is done, when, when this world is over, those are the things that are really gonna matter. You know, our house, our cars, our businesses, they're gone. Those are temporary things. Souls, lives that God is doing, those are the forever things. And if you are only an observer in the crowd that got to watch God saving people, that would still be amazing. But he's invited you in. He said, how about you? How about I pour out my spirit on all flesh? How about for young men and old men and women and people? And no matter where you are, you could, that he would use you in a way that would be a part of that. That he would invite you and say, God, I want to serve you. I, I, I would like to go to work with my dad. I would like to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And the past is the past. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. 
Maybe you have missed it. Maybe even as I say this for somebody here, you're like, man, I so blew it. I, years ago, I had opportunity to, to serve him, and I failed, and I didn't step into it. Now I feel like I'm on the sidelines. Hey, that's the past. And, and he's inviting us into this moment and says, hey, this is the day. <laughs> like now, like right now. We get to say, okay, God, I'm still here. If, if we're still alive, we're still, we're still kicking. He must still have a point for my being. There's still something I can do. There's still something you would have me to be a part of, and God, I just want you to lead me into that. You know, what he leads you into, that will be his to lead. But it's enough for you to say, God, I, I, I want to. God, I, you know, here I am. I want to I join you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I'm inviting you to it today and highlighting one last time the huge danger of procrastination. Because for so many people, they intend to. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then a day becomes a week, and a week becomes a month, and a month becomes a year, and a year becomes 10 years, and all of a sudden, three decades later, they're like, I really was thinking about serving Jesus. I thought about it. I really was intending to, you know, start doing something for Jesus. And you don't do it, not because you said no. You just said later, manana, not now. Now is the day. He just invites you to see it, like, behold, he says it twice, and just like the way he does that, where he just says it twice there at the end of verse 2, behold, like, see this, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. That is what we're invited into. So, you can close your Bibles, notebooks, that which you have open, and I just want you to see it. I want to encourage you to step into it to walk into what God would have for your life and today, like today, that we would be open to that. So would you just go before God and talk to him about that wherever that has landed for you? Before we, we close, we're just going to give you this quiet moment and it's intentional, it is purposeful. We don't want your mind to wander right now. We don't, we're hoping you're not going to immediately start thinking about what's going to happen after church. That We specifically are giving you a quiet moment so that you'd redeem it. So that you would say, okay, what am I supposed to, what does this look like for me? And quietly, as we take a moment to pray that you would just begin a conversation that would step towards what he has for you today. Quietly, would you do that with the Lord? I'll do the same, and then we'll close together in prayer and worship in a moment.